Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Timeless Podcast here today. I'm joined by John and Owen eating some Maltesers. Um, I would say that other uh, chocolate ball-based uh, food is available, but I can't think of any. Mini eggs. Rebels. Rebels. And now I think Lindor as well. Yeah, I've, I've fucked Gills. up here. Well, no, no, Skittles aren't chocolate. M&M. M&M, M&M chocolate. M&M, um, Smarties. Skittles. Kinder Egg. Kinder Egg. Cream Egg. There's the Dairy Milk Caramel Egg. Nice. Yeah, but nobody would want that. Apart from no, yeah, but they're just a bit, yeah, no. Anyway, welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Episode 83, I think. Um of this glorious, glorious show. And today we are reviewing, as John's background, if you're watching on the YouTubes, will reveal this is the 11th hour. Uh, if you're not watching on, on YouTube and you're watching on our other various podcasting platforms like Spotify, Google, Apple, then uh, I've just told you so you know. Hope you guys are all well. How are you guys? Are you guys good? Uh, this is open forum. Either of you can speak. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, another hard day at work and... Uh... Yeah, just and, evening chilling and podcasting. Owen, where is it you work again? Quickly, just, just get that out of the way. The Who Shop, in case you didn't know. There you go. Fantastic. The Who um, Shop, for all of your Doctor Who-related merchandising needs. And not like all the, all the Doctor Who shit that I said the other day or something like on the last episode. Um, other, 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 other retailers are available, but are significantly <laughs> less reliable. Yes. Fuck you, oh, Jeff Bezos. Um, and, and, and John, how are you, mate? I'm full of the joys of spring, my friend. Full of the joys. It's the first week of January and there's no Doctor Who until April. Uh, what could be better? Um, but we are filling yeah, it. Like, life, life, life is just kick-ass at the moment. However, we are filling it with some classic, we'll say well, it's classic now, I suppose. I mean, it's 10 it, years it, old. No, this isn't classic. Um, it is a classic, classic, but it's not classic who? It's classic in my heart. It's a, it's a classic episode. And by that, I don't mean in terms of age, I mean that in terms of quality. Yeah, I mean, it is, um, a, it is a classic, but it is not classic. Yes. But also, um, so guys, we will not be talking about the viewing figures for last time because I had to delete some comments on the, on the last Vanquishers podcast because people got bitchy about the viewing figures. I don't want that in my comment section. So... Uh, no, thank you. Oh, really? What were they saying? Were they were they, were they by any chance saying uh, why are you talking about viewing figures in the modern twenty first century? They're completely irrelevant and they're just stuff and nonsense. Sort of. One of them was like, uh, well, one comment that was very just and said, "It uh, to me, viewing figures don't matter." Um, yeah, I mean, if only somebody had actually said that on the podcast. Uh, they did. And then that wasn't having an attack at us. They were agreeing with, with you. And then somebody decided to call them a word, which I will not repeat on the podcast, because it, it's not very... Even, <laughs> even, we, even we wouldn't say that word, John. Even what letter did it begin with? Uh, F and ended in T. Um, but that's all I will say. Um, but even we wouldn't say that here. He knows. He knows. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I mean, so you've got to figure it out. But John knows. He's like... Does it kind of rhyme with bucket? <laughs> Sort of. It kind of rhymes with bucket, right? Owen, oh, I'll, I'll let you know what the what the word is. Um. So yeah, no more viewing figures. Chat. One thing I will say though, 
is the one thing I am happy to report is that overall um, Twitter is is still ablaze with absolute shitstormers. Um, I won't going to name this individual. Um, John likes to the mick out of him and quote tweet him a lot with a certain aroma. However, I saw something on Twitter that really pissed me off. It's to do with books. Um, oh, and okay. and um, it 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 just it made me. That isn't the word, by the way. <laughs> you not? No. <laughs> I'll it. <laughs> it doesn't run a bucket. I was being an idiot. Um, Right. I don't even. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to type this to you directly because I don't want to say the word in our group chat. Try to say the word. Send it into the chat, and then everybody in the chat will be like, "What is going on?" It doesn't. It doesn't rhyme with bucket. Um, it. I have to. I can't type that in the chat. Ah. I can't type that in the chat. I can't. Oh, we can't. We that. can't. We can't. We can't put that mm-hmm. in the chat. Mm-mm. Um. But yeah, so if any of you who who make books and write books, you're more than welcome to. Some of the best people in the world write books. Um, first of all, don't ask people to buy them, uh, even if they can't afford it. That's that's the one thing that legitimately pissed me off about this. Second of all, why 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 are you spending? Was it like ten k per book to make or something? One hundred ten thousand pounds allegedly spent on books on making books. <laughs> Oh, oh, John, I know, oh, you know, uh, I mean, I, I can't speak for you, too, but I'm not a businessman myself. However, uh, I'm not moronic enough to, uh, to to put that to put myself in that price packet. You know what I mean? I mean, the phrase, the phrase more money than sense comes to mind. Um, I mean, you are completely right in what you say and that, you know, some of the best people in the world write books. Uh, unfortunately, some of the worst people in the world write books as well. Um, and yeah, it, it was just. It just completely tickled me, and um, there was a there was a subsequent thing going on with the same individual where they've um, they've been talking about how you know it's cost them one hundred and ten thousand pounds to produce these books, and they were then looking for an illustrator for another book where they were only prepared to pay a thousand pounds for a hundred sketch drawings, and it was like, John, do you spell this? Pay, pay creators reasonably, you know? Yeah. John I Owen, how much it, it cost them to make uh, Doctor in Distress? Let's all answer. Let's not answer this guy's SOS. Um, Jesus. Um, but Owen and John. Take your money. He couldn't care less. But, 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 um, can, can, any, can anybody else smell piss? Yeah. Can, there's yeah, massive. There's a waft oh, of it. Massive aromas. Absol- absolutely. Um, not just me. Fantastic. Um, also, as well, how I want to have a quick discussion. This is a Doctor Who episode. About how weird does it feel to you? It might not feel weird at all that we are two episodes away from the Chibnall Whitaker era of Who. Now, I can't remember the life of me. John, I know you were on the episode. I don't think Owen was when, when all the change at Cardiff was going down. Um, I don't know if Owen was there for that one. I don't think he was. But it feels like immediately we've jumped from you know kind of having this whole get like chunk of an era and it's uh, like within what was that like two three months ago it's all just gone like we're we're two away now and although there's a time gap as it were it now just feels like what <laughs> in a sense 
It feels, um, I mean, it feels very odd that the um, that we're this close to the Tube and Weirah ending. Um, when I say odd, I mean good. Um, or, or do I, no, um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, but that's just the nature of things, isn't it? When you have specials and you space them out, then of course you're going to go through seven episodes in the space of a couple of months, and then you've got like two episodes over the next nine months. So it's just the way things work. You know, it was exactly the same with um, it was exactly the same when Matt Smith left. You know, we had a whole sort of chunk of episodes, and then um, you know you had a gap and two specials. Yeah, I'm absolutely correct. Yeah, I, I it just to me it just it's it's I don't know. Like, like you were saying about Yaz. Last, I think it was in the last episode. It might have been in the uh, backlist as well. I just wish we saw more of Jodie under a different writer. Your kind of reflection, not to be entirely shitting on Chris Chibnall. Uh, we've all given his fair shake up, and he's done really well. And when he's an absolute tripe, there's been a lot of mix of so really, really good stuff, and then some tripe. Um, but I don't know. I just, I just wish we saw we can see more from Jodie. So I do feel I, like I, I do feel, and as I've asked this all along. Um, I don't care who disagrees, I'm right. Um, I do feel that she has been poorly served by the writing. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And I, I, I think it's like... mostly down to... Yeah, I was going to say that I think it's mostly down to Chickamore's own writing. Because, I mean, I, I think a lot of the sort of like co-written um, and ones written by other people are mostly great. Um, there's there are some exceptions. I mean, you know, you yeah. Um, there, there are there are there are one or two exceptions, but generally speaking, the ones that are guest written have been good. Mm. Um, it just I think overall it's it's a it's it's just bizarre, and I think it's a weird era to look back on because in the modern era we've never had just an era like this where a writer comes in and he says to one doctor and that's it. In this case, I think. There is a high, you know, I'm not trying to speak for people here, but just looking at Twitter, there was a high it's gathering of even, even Jodie. Of, gone. Well, I mean, in terms of time, he's done roughly about the same as Russell did for the first time around. Yeah. But in terms of producing the episodes, he's been a bit slow, boyo. Um, and I'm talking even before COVID. Um, you can put part of that down to COVID. You can put part of it down to higher production values. Yeah, these these episodes probably do take longer to film because they look a lot better. Yeah, they do. That is true. It's true. Um, shame that they yeah, look nice, but interesting to see what happens when RTD and Bad Wolf come along. Whether they manage to maintain the same production standard but up the rate with a bit more money. Interesting to see. That's Let's hope so, and uh, I will t- close the talk. With this is like a year down the line, but I will close to the time. Do a podcast on predictions for the era and what we think it might look like and feel like, and all that sort of stuff. But that's a mile away. But I'm, you know, it, it just by October this year, roughly. I don't know whether the centenary is. I think it's in October or November. Um, October. We'll we'll be on the verge of that, and that will be freaky. Um, and exciting it, it's going to be exciting uh, to have to avoid Twitter again for leaks and crap um, I also uh, can't wait to find out who the new Doctor we might not find out who the new Doctor is until the regeneration now, rumours are being said so who do we know 
Yeah, they're uh, gonna start film. They're gonna start filming around March, April time. So we'll find out around then. Who do you think? Would, who do you think would be the best fake out Fourteenth Doctor? Like they go, it is this person, but it's not. Who? Um. I mean. My view on that would be somebody that everybody seems to think it should be, but I don't want. So someone like Ollie Alexander would be great because it would be like everybody would go, oh, yeah. And I'm like, well, the guy can't actually act. Um, but... I'm in agreement with you. Um, I, for me, I'd say Dave Batista. Just, just but you want to like... realistic about that, don't you? Yeah, but Big Dave as the Doctor would be brilliant. Just Batista, Bob and a Dalek. I'd, I'd watch it. I'd watch it. Um, you yeah. might be the only one. I, I reckon you'd watch it as well, John. Triple H would enjoy it. No? Okay, just me. Never let me be a show because I will just get David Batista to be the doctor. So, there we go. Anyway, Owen, as you worked there, who is your number one pick for who you would like as the 14th Doctor? It could be male, it could be female, it could be anybody. He was there, he was on that podcast. He wasn't, were you? I don't think he was. Yes, he was. He turned turned, turned around, he said he'd love to see Roger RTD come back and write. Yeah. That wasn't... Yes, it was. Oh my God, you're a... I even know what goes on in your own podcast. I've, 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 no. I, I even forgot. I mean, it, was literally, were... it was literally the same week, like days before it was actually announced. Was it the uh, same week? Was yeah, it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't, no, it wasn't the same week. It was, it was, it was, it was no, no, it was a couple of days after it was announced that Chris and Jody were going. So it was a few weeks before. It was when they made the announcement that Chris and Jody were going. Oh, right, yeah. I forgot that you predicted that. Um, you well, didn't predict it. I mean, I, I just said that I'd like for um, RTD to come back and write a couple of stories at least. Um, I, I never expected him to come back as showrunner. I, I never thought that would happen in a million years. Um, but yeah. There we go. Owen Owen has insight. That's what you do. You go to the Who Shop. Owen will tell you the future. He doesn't know it, but secretly he does. He'll tell you everything. I mean, sometimes I do wonder if people out there are sort of like listening in on my conversations and, you know, podcasting these days, you know, is, internet. Is, um, and, you oh, know don't, don't worry, Owen. I'm sure that nobody's listening to you on this podcast. <laughs> Shut up. Um, who... Is the Who shop bugged? Do you think? Do you think? Do you think someone's listening to your conversation? Because to be honest, if it is bugged, I'll, I'll let you let the person know. They have to they have to waft through a lot of you just singing and dancing and talking to yourself. It could be that somebody's gone into the Who. Um, <laughs> it could be that somebody's gone into the Who shop with like a little bug inside a Doctor Who figure and just planted it on one of the shelves. I was worried what he was going to say then. Um, <laughs> it's just like planting it in one of the gels and they just sat there listening like, um, um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that, I mean, Alex, like, years ago, she used to have a dog called uh, Wolf, a uh, big German Shepherd. And this was, like, before Doctor Who came back. And Alex still swears blind that whoever was working on Doctor Who at the time clearly came like into the shop 
because she used to have the dog on the shop floor. It used to be behind the counter and whatever and didn't bother anyone. Um, and probably heard Alex say one day, bad wolf. Uh, and then I think that's probably where it's got picked up um, and then incorporated into Doctor Who. Uh, but, you know, that that's just, you know, my boss is Alex's uh, theory. I, I mean, I, I remember Wolf. And the first time I ever met Wolf, I, I, it was, I didn't even realise they kept dogs in the shop. And it was in the old shop in East Ham. And I remember walking up to the... Um, to the counter where I think Kevin was at the time and sort of slapping my copy of Doctor Who magazine down on the counter. And next thing I know, this head and these paws have just jumped up on the counter like that. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, I'm so stupid. <laughs> I just had a sort of situation with uh, Fluffy uh, a few months back. Um, because, I mean, she's, get, she's getting... I mean, she's not tall but she's just sort of long bodied mm. and I put something on the counter, I, I don't know if it was food based or something but she jumped up on the counter and I thought she's going to knock everything flying <laughs> I, I don't sorry John, I don't know why I thought that I'm not going to repeat it but when you said slammed your cop I thought you were going to oh, say something completely oh, <laughs> so when well, this is uh, turning <laughs> into something else now. Um, I've been hanging out with Owen too much. I've been hanging out with Owen too much. Uh, don't, don't blame me. <laughs> Never go to a beer five. Don't blame Owen. me for your filthy mind. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, everyone. And sorry to the Who shop. There won't be any of that in the Who shop. Especially now that Owen's there. Or slap the that. next rating across your podcast. Um, mate, that, mate, that's been there for all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you ever paid attention to how many times I say cunt on it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, let's get into the 11th hour. Now, boys, um, I'm going to quickly take you back uh, to... Well, it, well it's, I mean, it's nearly the uh, 20th hour of the day. Um it, it is, but but you know, it's technically seven in the morning for these lovely folk if they're listening oh, as soon as it drops. However, I want to take you back to the third of April 2010. Because that's how old this episode is. Almost almost 12 years old now. Jesus. We had, we had a Labour government. We did. And it and I I, I believe time with times better. But there was no coronavirus i suppose there wasn't a coronavirus but if i recall rightly we were we, it was around the time there was a massive volcanic ash cloud above um Gosh, yes i remember above, that above, above above iceland which was which was stopping a lot of flights yeah didn't that happen a couple of times in iceland i can't remember but Just sort it, of like it, a, it a, a year or two apart yeah it was it was around the time of the volcanic ash cloud there we go. There's some history for you. I didn't know about that. I would have been eight when this episode came out. So there you go. Ah, being a being a youth. What was I doing when I was eight? Was oblivious to the what's going on in the world. And it was Easter, wasn't it? So I would have been like, hey, "Mama, can I have another Easter egg, please?" <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I hate the fact that you think I'm posh. Uh, anyway, uh, this week, uh, okay, I, so I, would, would you like some more chicken and coleslaw? <laughs> yes, but you're from East London. 
Yeah, what about it? Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing wrong with it. I am a proud hammer, but I'm just saying in terms of voice and dialect, I'm from the countryside. I mean, I'm sort of, this sort of like, it was inevitability that I was going to be sad a bit more posh. Mm. There's nothing against having that. Kind of, I, th- I think, to be honest, I think you sound cooler than me. Maybe not Owen, but John yeah. definitely would. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're not. Al- I'm sure you're not alone in that thought. Thank you. Um, anyway, this week I, I will be doing because I, I am taller than you. <laughs> you are indeed. Unfo- I was going to say unfortunately, so fortunately, so because uh, you can't get much uncooler than myself. I mean, look at this jumper. I mean, apparently Kevin Power also owns this jumper. So if that tells you the levels of. Well, I'm looking at your jumper and I think, you know, I like, I actually like that jumper. See, me and Owen, we don't, me and I don't go, I don't go planning to go and buy it, you know, from, from wherever and, you know, where where is your, I'm not that sort of person, Alex Kingdom. Where Um, where is your jumper available from, Alex? I don't, I don't want to say it because it's not going to, it's not going to help the posh thing. Is it M&S? Yes, it is. If you wish, if you wish to, if you wish to dress like Alex Kingdom, buy your jumpers. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's, that's just <laughs> your your local Tory supermarket. Um... <laughs> um, for your information, Alex Kingdom is not a Tory. Um, I've had the chance to well, vote once. That, Tom Baker shops in MS quite often. Talks to the old dears. Yeah, but Tom Baker's not a Tory, surely. I reckon he's like a Lib Dem. I reckon, a Lib- um, I, I, I reckon he's like a Lib Dem kind of man. You know what I mean? I, just, I think um, he probably just thinks all politicians are arseholes. I, I, yeah, I highly doubt that Mr. Baker has a political affiliation at all. Mm. I think he's probably expressed that once on the "Have I Got News for You." I think he, he, his views on Tories. He has um, <clears throat> his views on Tories are quite well documented, but I think he, <clears throat> he probably doesn't vote for anybody. I would have thought. There we go. Who knows, eh? That's, that was my best kind of segue, but it was still kind of shit. Anyway, this week uh, I will be taking over from John and doing the breakdown of the episodes. So, John, hopefully, I do you proud. Um, so the so the eleventh hour immediately follows on from the aftermath of the end of time, where obviously the tenth Doctor regenerated and the TARDIS sort of blew up, as the TARDIS always does in the modern era. Whenever there's a regeneration, um, we see the Doctor almost get his new knob cut off. Um, as he's flying through the air, he crash lands in a random front garden. Turns out to be the garden of a young lass who's praying to Santa to, for, for a policeman or anyone to come and save her from this crack in the wall. The doctor then, you know, has to experiment with his new body and tries to eat different foods and tries to get to grips with his personality. Uh, and we have a great back and forth between the doctor and this young child who is revealed to be Amelia Pond. Like, like from a fairy tale. What a lovely voice. Uh, then we get the best line, one of the best lines in this entire episode. Um, must be one hell of a crack. It must be one cr- hell of a crack in your wall because it's just a, a brilliantly ominous line. <laughs> that, oh, that can't take you seriously. Maltese is like, you're, you're eating them like, you're eating them like you're like, not supposed to be eating them. So every time you go grab one, you're like, is anyone watching me? I say, grab this Maltese. Jesus wept. Um, then there's a massive eye in the wall and they run out of, they, they have to run away. And the TARDIS is like, no, I need to travel. So the doctor buggers off, but he'd still be five minutes. Turns out he's actually 12 years or 10 years. I forget. Um, I just watched it. I think it, 
I think it's 12. Yeah. Yeah. Both psychiatrists. It's 12. It is 12, and then it becomes 14. It turns out yeah. that there is a new, there is a random police lady that lives in there now, but except it is the real, it is the real Amelia Pond, who now goes by Amy Pond. And as I said, it's been 12 years. They run around Ledworth. Turns out everyone knows the doctor is the raggedy doctor. And turns out there's been a thing, a creature, Prisoner Zero, has been living in Amy's house the whole time. And the doctor has 20 minutes to save the day and send Prisoner Zero back to prison before the prison blows up the world. And Rory's been spotting uh, various coma patients walking around Ledworth. Except... It's not uh, the patients because they're, they're still in the hospital bed. They're being copied it's, by Prisoner Zero. It's Olivia Coleman. And, of course, what and a man and a dog. And, and of course, what you've got to mention is that Amy isn't actually a police officer. Yes, she's in fact a kissogram. Um, stripper. Like, they oh, couldn't get her. Oh, you got, they a little, couldn't... got a little bit excited when you said that, didn't you? Shut up. Um, I, 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 I would hasten to add, actually, I'm sorry, I would hasten to add for any histograms that may be listening, um, Alex Kingdom just used the word stripper. A histogram and a stripper are not the same thing. I didn't even know a histogram was a, a real job. A histogram is somebody who arrives in costume, delivers a message accompanied by a kiss. A stripper is somebody who takes their clothes off for money. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we don't want to be offending the kissogram market. I, I what has this podcast become? Defending the kissogram market. We like, don't want to be offending. I'm not, I'm not against the kissogram market. You, 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 just know, equate, you, you, you just equate strippers. No, but Moffat. When, Moffat when, they're when they're completely the different thing. Stripper, a stripper takes their clothes off. A kissogram, by definition, is wearing clothes. Okay, it's wearing right. a costume. Look to the to all the kissograms out there who may be listening. I apologise, and to all the strippers, we respect your work. <laughs> you go, you go get it, and you go make that money because, yeah, why not? And that is the wrap up, John. How did I do? Apart from you know, was that better than my previous attempts? What were we saying? Um, I think um, it was all right. Um, what I'll I would say it. is that you missed off a bit at the end where the doctor leaves to try out the TARDIS and then comes back and it turns out he's been another two years and then he takes Amy off on a flight in the TARDIS with her nighty and the final reveal is that actually it's the night before her wedding. Indeed, indeed, indeed. That is the 11th hour. Now, I chat- like how the Doctor just sort of turns up and wreaks havoc everywhere it goes. So like trashes her garden, smashes a uh, garden shed completely just obliterates it. Yeah, I mean, he, um, he literally go, goes in demanding food everywhere he goes and then spits it all over the place. Um, so yeah, yeah waste of food as well. Yeah, I mean, um, he, he literally lands the TARDIS on its side, and yet, strangely mm-hmm. enough, when he did that, you didn't get lots of people going, Oh, look, the new doctor can't even fly the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, when, but when Jody did it, everybody was like, Oh, women can't even fly the TARDIS. Very but with strange, the- that, isn't it? Very strange indeed. I know. And beginning of the episode, he's dangling out the TARDIS. Now, wouldn't you say the TARDIS is trying to chuck him out as well because the TARDIS wants to repair itself or something? The, like the TARDIS, the TARDIS always took his knob off. Um, oh, we but, did. But then he was within the 16 hours of regeneration. So it would have grown back. Yeah, it would have grown 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 back. And it would have been a fighting knob. (laughs) (laughs) 
Lovely. Right, guys, guys, I'm going to be honest, this might be the most boring Summers podcast of all time. Uh, because It's not going to be the most boring Summers podcast. Uh, we've, we've already had you being posh, M&S, strippers and kissograms. It's already not the most boring Pimeless podcast of all time. <laughs> Absolutely, but in terms We're of fighting the, knobs, um, in terms, I'm fighting knobs. In terms of debate for review, though, I'm going to be honest. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, well, it might not be recording. We might have been this. This is a stone cold classic for me. Hundred um, percent. I'm not going to obviously going to give our scores away at the end, but little to nothing wrong with this at all for me. I think from top to bottom, it's entertaining. It moves at a pace. Um, this is all. I'm 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 eleventh Doctor Stan. I know that John loves a bit of eleven as well. Um, I, you know, I just overall, it to me, it just Matt Smith gets going in the first seconds, and I don't know how many other Doctors did it to this degree like that. I adore this episode. It is perfection. Um. And Matt, yeah, Matt does completely hit the ground running. And the only other examples I can think of where a doctor hits around ground running are Peter Capaldi in Deep Breath, because in his very first episode, he gets to make that speech and it's like, wow, this guy is a doctor. I think you can also make an argument for Pertwee and Spearhead from Space, um, who just comes in and immediately owns it. Um, Grand Theft wheelchair. Um, yeah, possibly, uh, possibly for similar reasons to this, I think, because what you get with Spearhead and Space and what you get with this is you get a complete clean break from the previous era. So, you know, with Pertwee, it was like, right, you've gone to Earth, you've moved to color, it's almost a completely different show. With this, it was like, right, everything about RCD is gone. This is a new showrunner, new doctor, new companion. And it it's just already in HD, sets, and you know, just set, stamp out from from the from, from day one. Yeah, absolutely. And also did a bit, um, a bit, a bit of a pertly by uh, stealing a patient's clothes from a locker. <laughs> no, 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 it, it is. Yeah, it is completely full of callbacks to Spearhead from Space. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. completely full of callbacks to Spearhead. You know, the setting around the hospital, the the the, the whole thing is is got a lot of reminiscences of spearhead from space which is never a bad thing in my view hmm. you, you never go far wrong if you if, if you if you're calling back to pertwee absolutely uh, there are some there are some corking uh, uh callbacks here um i did put the in the first bit of notes uh, the word wham not the band just i thought you're straight away within the first few seconds into this and i know again not to, i know me and john moffat is sort of our our, our number one in terms of showrunner uh in at least in the modern era uh, uh and this is this is him on fire because there's not a dull moment in this like normally in a bit of doctor episode there's that one scene that on the rewatch you go right if i get through this scene 
then we get to the really good stuff. Like you have to get through this bit of exposition with these two characters that, that that's going to happen. So this can explain that. No, with this, everything moves really well. Every character you like because they sort of have their own personality to them. Even people like Rory's boss, for example, they have that scene where the dynamics really good. So every character's strong, and the character sort of feels like a placeholder. So when you have those interactions, uh, when you have those interactions, um, it's it. The, the episode just never slows and never becomes yeah. dull. Yeah, it chugs along. Like, it chugs along like a stream train. It just doesn't stop. It, I think doesn't Nina Wardia, who plays Rory's boss, would also make a great doctor. She's got that authority about her. Uh, I'm absolutely. I haven't seen. I don't mm. think I've seen her anything else. I might have, um, but. I don't know if I have. And she was also Zaynab in EastEnders as well, um, which is... <laughs> you're when out of my... first appeared, I was like, oh, it's Zaynab from EastEnders. Um... You, you're, you're out of my depth there, Rowan, uh, unfortunately. Um, and the second that I put down, which I think is just a mark on the whole era, but definitely in this episode with the new score that Marie God does, which is brilliant, by the way. Mm. Uh, I put the words Dear Santa slash fairy tale instantly, like John was saying, you get an entirely new vibe for this. They don't hold back. It's entirely different from the tent era. It's much more fairy tale, much more magical. And you see that in the way it's shot, in the sounds. And fairy tale is a word that you can pretty much use to sum up series five. If I were to sum up series five in one word, it would be fairy tale. And I think that the, the, for me, the absolute masterstroke, the genius in this episode and the genius of the Smith era, the thing that Moffat does that just makes it magical and sets out exactly what's going on is he has the doctor's first scene with a child. And that, that's never been done before. And just those interactions between a new doctor and a child are so different between how a human would react and there's all these little moments where Amy just she's not sinister she's not suspicious Amelia just embraces it and you know you get this wonderful five or ten minutes of them just hanging out and then right at the very end of that she turns around to me and she says if you're a doctor why does it say police on your box and then you think and you go in 47 years of this television program Nobody has ever asked that. And it takes for a child to be in that moment and to be that inquisitive and go, that doesn't make sense. It, it's yep. brilliant. It's, an, it's, an, it's a stroke of genius. And it gives the Doctor and Amy a different kind of connection, a different kind of relationship that you don't see anywhere else. Absolutely. And I just have to give credit to Caitlin Blackwood, who is sensational. Um, I met her a couple of years ago. Yeah, she's brilliant in this. I, yeah, I met her a couple of years ago. She's absolutely lovely. And she is, she is brilliant in this. I mean, obviously, she doesn't look like Amelia Pond anymore. She looks like Sophie Turner nowadays. But um, you know, she, 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 she is brilliant in this. Yeah, the absolutely. The thing about Amelia Pond is that, um, I mean, the doctor, you know, just... just wrecks her home and everything just by crashing through it and spinning food out everywhere and she's not even really phased by him she's more worried about the crack in her wall yeah you know and for what a, how old is she eight nine ten 
Yeah, I'd say I'd be eight or nine. I think. I, th- I think yeah. eight because I think Amy was meant to be twenty when this kicks off, and then she yeah. becomes twenty-two. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, obviously, I think uh, one thing as well that is brilliant. This is the dialogue. Moffat uses dialogue really well, and so and the delivery from Smith. So when you do get that brilliant line of, "Well, look, man, man cuts out the sky. Man's in blue box. Man comes there. Each fish custard. You're not phased. So that what that tells me one thing." And she goes, what? That must be one hell of a crack in your wall. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. And the delivery from Smith as well is yeah. fantastic because already he's got that juxtaposition of being that childish sort of stay out to the bread and butter and the beans and then immediately switches to, to that not sinister darkness, but that seriousness, yeah. that extra gear that you can get into. You, re- you immediately realise why they've taken a punt on this guy. You immediately realise why this guy that you've never heard of has just been given one of the biggest roles in television. It's because it's the right decision and he's perfect for it. Yep. Entirely. Entirely. Uh, And this scene... I mean, I remember the other day, it was like the, the 13th anniversary of the Smith reveal. And I remember watching that and literally being like, who's he? Yeah, I've never heard of him, but it, but God, did he prove everybody wrong? Yeah, immediately. Absolutely, uh, and look, it's just I think it's uh, one of the the most, like you said, the most genius techniques from Moffat to introduce a new doctor by having, uh, you know, not only one of the most childlike doctors, but also just have a doctor, which is they're always out of sync when they first regenerate. They're always a bit wacky, so to have that with a child. It was just one of the best decisions you could make because you see the, the doctor through that lens of the child then and the doctor's no longer silly, really. The doctor is instantly that sort of friend. Yeah. Children have less cynicism. And so, you know, you, Amy questions things or Amelia questions things in a different way. You know, she, she's accepting of some of the sort of weird things that an adult would be very suspicious of. But some of the more illogical things that an adult wouldn't even consider, she questions. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, then obviously we meet the dastardly. Uh, well, that isn't Prisoner Zero; it's the Atraxi, uh, the Eye in the Wall. Um, you know, Prisoner Zero has been uh, Prisoner Zero has escaped. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, a big eye with a bit of glass around it or crystal um what do we make of the attraction prisoner zero because normally when i see criticism of this it is very rare that you do kind of get massacres but it is the fact that prisoner zero is a bit naff but watching it i don't care i I mean people that are criticizing prisoners at prisoner zero and saying that makes this a bit naff really are reaching you know they're, they're really stretching for something they're looking for something to have a go at um it's the whole thing generally with a doc with the introduction of a doctor that that first episode the focus is going to be on that doctor, um, you know. And if if you look back across previous introductory episodes, the monsters have always either been a bit naff or been a bit kind of inconsequential, you know. You, you even say the Autons, and I know I keep coming back to it, but even say the Autons in sort of Spearhead from Space. It's only really because of their subsequent appearance in Terror of the Autons that 
it kind of ramps up and maybe one or two iconic scenes in Spearhead. Um, a lot of it is still about the introduction of the Doctor. Um, and, you know, looking at the sort of new series, The Clockwork Aliens in um, Deep Breath, the, 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 the sticker acts in Christmas Invasion, um, Tim Shaw, they're all a bit inconsequential because that's what they're supposed to be. Because it's not actually about, like that episode isn't actually about fighting a monster. It's about the Doctor finding himself and, and the new actors setting their stamp on a role, if you like. Absolutely. And I even would, would argue the physicist is a bit of a naff villain because even though within the story it does have the most depth as a villain, though, however, he's got some cool mechanics. Like yeah, the. It works. it works. Like the. the the, the the morphing and using people's like forms when they're like yeah. comatose is really cool. Um, not it's only that, really good idea. Not only that, does it does it ha- does the stake thing? I mean, yeah, the CGI looks a bit dated, but it was twenty ten. Uh, the stake thing looks really sinister and really creepy, and there was some really good heart. That scene um, where Amy, you know, is in the room and she doesn't, she can't look at Prisoner Zero. That's a cool little horror element scene there, yeah. you know, and there, there, so there are some really cool bits uh, with Prisoner Zero. Um, you get the really cool bit at the end with Olivia Coleman telling the Doctor to go go do one. Um, you know, th- th- there's still some really cool moments for this villain. And, yeah, I yeah, think... I, I, think... I, I, re- I really think that anybody who's criticising this episode because of Prisoner Zero is basically searching for something to have a dig at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think I think it works. You know, it's like you, you always get you always get some people quite often fans of other areas of the show that will have a pop at a decent Smith or Moffat episode. And they've got too much time on their hands. Find something to have a go at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let, let's skip forward then. So like I said in the breakdown, the Doctor go, has to go back in the TARDIS. And you see, it'll be five minutes. Uh, again, really big, good bit of dialogue where uh, uh, Amelia says, that's what everybody says. And he goes, oh, that's what people say. And he goes, do I look like people? Um, great, like, yeah, because actually he does. A great, great bit of a dialogue, but actually, like like John and Owen have said, he's twelve years, doesn't realise it, and gets knocked out by a cricket bat. I will say this: this isn't a plot on the episode. Just made me laugh. The cricket bat shot is dreadful because the cricket bat moves at like five miles per hour, so it wouldn't knock anybody out. But that's just filming fun. That's not me critiquing it. I don't care. It's one shot of an f- episode. Uh, it's just really funny because it doesn't move at a pace at all. It's like a light swing. Um, most it would do is probably give him a bruise. Um, he wakes up in handcuffs. You don't know that. He has effectively just regenerated. Fair. Although I'm not, I'm not bitching about it. I found it funny. It's, it's, it's fine. I understand also they don't, they don't want to smack a cricket bat into a camera. Um, so I get it. Um, but yeah, he wakes up. He's against a radiator and there's a policewoman there. Oh, no. She's calling for backup. Um, turns out that Prisoner Zero is still in that extra room. And uh, essentially, he turns into a man with dog. Because we've already talked about the horror. Screwdriver. 
Yeah, you should nick the screwdriver, the bugger. Um, yeah. Um, if we kind of get a sort of reintroduction for Amy straight away here and sort of a slight dynamic change, which I kind of like because Moffat immediately sort of puts us on our toes within the, fir- within the first 20 minutes because in the first quarter of an hour, we've had this relationship build up and then it changes not dramatically, but there are elements of difference where now the doctor isn't as cool anymore. And like John said, she does get those bits of cynicism within her as becoming an adult. She now doesn't really trust everything he says. She's a bit more wary to how can this man exist? He disappears for 12 years. Everyone thought I was crazy. You know, four psychiatrists because um, she kept biting them. Um you know, and immediately, I think Karen Gillan as well is another person that just hits the ground running. Very much so. Very much so. I think yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Their dynamic as well is straight off the bat. Like, for most uh, dynamics, they sort of grow as they go. Whereas this, I feel, is gold dust from episode one. Very similar to Ten and Donna, I feel, or Four and Sarah Jane. It's just gold dust from story one. You, you, yeah, it's perfect. Yes, and I think a large part of that is because it was two actors that got along very well personally. You know, two two actors that were just friends in real life. You're muted, Alex. Can't actually hear Alex. He's talking, and I can't hear him. I can't hear you. No, can't hear a word. We'll be right back, folks. Alex is currently twiddling oh. with his mic. Are we good now? Hello. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Welcome back, everyone. Um, thank you for thank you for the interim me twiddling on my mic. Um, what happened there? I have no idea. My microphone's playing up. I might need to get a new one eventually down the line. Um, it's this one's running out of service. It's done eighty-four episodes, um, but. Yeah, I just overall, I think like there's immediately some brilliant bits. I mean, John, let's talk about the bit that's behind you and for the audio listeners, the bit with the apple. Um, brilliant bit of storytelling at the start. We're, um, you know, Amy, obviously, her parents are mysteriously gone. We or Amelia's parents, if you like, because they are credited as two different characters. Um, and, you know, her parents are mysteriously gone. We don't know where, obviously, that leads into the finale. As, um, and yeah, uh, to gives the doctor an apple and says, my mum used to paint faces on them. And he goes, I'll use it for, I'll keep it for later, which is a line of dialogue I've never picked up on until till this rewatch specifically. Mm. And then it comes back in a wonderful way um, where essentially it's the, the device the doctor uses to enable Amy to believe in the magic again. And I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, essentially he uses it to prove to Amy that for him, it has literally been five minutes. Yeah. Because obviously he pulls the apple out and it's still got the freshly carved face on it. Yeah. And, and the it, way it, they filmed it, 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 it shows, it, it shows, done. and it, it, it shows that, um, you know, it shows that for him, it hasn't been 12 years. It's been literally half an hour. Mm. Yeah. I, I think it's just brilliant. And also the lens flare, which they say was accidental. Now, if that is the actual case, amazing. That is just gold dust in terms of luck. And they, and they slowed down the scene as well by like a fraction of a second. 
yeah um and it just makes all the difference it's brilliant uh, other bits i love what is that it's a duck pond but where are the ducks um yeah little small things the fact that she essentially steals a man's car and tells him to go get coffee while the world's blowing up um What's, well, another device I love that Moffat uses, again, to sort of up the scope of uh, the Atraxi without really having to do anything, is making them broadcast to the entire world. It's a small part of the episode, but it instantly gives it this global impact yeah. of the whole world is n- in trouble here. I think it's wonderful. You know, uh, I, I love the little thing of the ice cream man and he's, you know, I think it's actually in that old lady's house where she, he's using the Sonic and you can hear it in all different languages on every television channel. And then we get introduced to uh, to Jeff. Good old Jeff. What do we make of Jeff? Do we he's like Jeff? Do we like Jeff? We have a weirdo, really. A bit of a weirdo. He Somehow. around his room on his computer and, you know, Clearly looking at something suspicious. Um, I mean, you know, I, I like the theory that it could be the same Jeff from uh, either of the Daleks. Yeah. What, what is your evidence for this, John, apart from the fact that he's called well, Jeff? Well, the fact they're both called Jeff, they're both clearly a bit weird. That, that, I, think, I think that's 100% proof that, that they are the same. Um, well, at least you got to help save the world with uh, Sir Patrick Moore. Yes, he did. <laughs> Which uh, the uh, the old lady um, I can't can't remember her name. Um, it took quite a shine to. Um, um, who did you say, John? Well, it's Annette Crosby, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Who was, uh, of course, in one foot in the grave, and also in one foot of the grave. You had um, uh, Dan. What's his name? Um, I'm useless with names, as you can tell. I don't, um, even, I, don't even, I don't even. I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, and he was I in, uh, believe it. He was Victor Meldrum. Oh, Richard, uh, Richard Wilson. Richard Wilson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So both of them have been in Doctor Who now. Uh, again, another bit of dialogue that I love is uh, later on in the episode with Rory when the Doctor says he needs a laptop, and he goes, "Your friend, the, the guy with the laptop, the handsome one." And she goes, Jeff, and he goes, oh, thanks. Um, love that sort of stuff. Um, again, Moffat was brilliant at writing individual characters, something that has been lacking yeah. in, in, in the recent era. Um, if your name's not... Some people, some people do criticise some of the dialogue in this for being a bit over-sexualised. And, you know, when you look back on it, yes, a little bit. But I think it's the kind of thing that would go over a kid's head. Yep. Totally. Yeah. So, like, it's not. There are definitely sometimes where it can get a bit, let's say, I wouldn't say raunchy by any means, but it can get a bit, you know, maybe a bit too over flirty, especially with like River and Eleven at point. But they're gonna, like you said, it would go over the kid's head. There's nothing, there's nothing on screen that would be offensive for a kid to see at all at any point. I think it's fine. Kids, kids' films and kids' TV and family TV has done this for years. It's just a bit more out in the open in the Moffat era, I suppose. Um, but yeah, one thing I've got to praise as well, this is me getting my inner film nerd out, is that shot where essentially it's the tracking shot where they essentially use it like pictures and you see the entire sort of field, I guess, would you the call it? The greenery, the greenery, and you're just travelling around, you're seeing things, how the doctor sees them. Um 
and it's it's brilliant. And that's where you finally meet Rory. Rory, by the way, in this, who is a, is much very obviously this is the beginning of Rory's story. So he's a much different character here than he than he becomes at the end of Angels Take Manhattan. Um, I, I, I I've always think about the, uh, the 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 tracking shots yeah. um, across the village. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it's the only time we ever see them do that. So, I mean, it's very much a Stephen Moffat thing, and it's the sort of thing that he would have done in Sherlock as well. Um, but, yeah, that was the only time that we saw him do that kind of shot. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's wonderful effect here. Mm. Um, but I always, I don't know how you guys feel, but I always feel Arthur Darville as an actor is underrated. I feel like people think he's a bit bland, but I just think he's playing a regular bloke really well. I he's think very, he's very good at it. Yeah, he's not meant to be over the top. He's not meant to be, yeah. let's say, for example, a character like Captain Jack or even Mickey in later episodes where he's all action hero. Oh, can we? Can we? He's basically like your your average John Smith. Naming perverts. I'm not trying to. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the first two that came to my head, which I don't know if this says a lot about me. Also, there's not been that many male action characters after those guys, really. Um, Danny Pink. Mm, again, not really great. Um Ryan. Yeah. Got Graham. Got Chipstore. Chipstore. Uh, you know, I think Roy, I think Roy is brilliant. Um I also love the little running running theme of this. If everyone in the town knows about the raggedy doctor, I think that's a funny joke that keeps <laughs> popping up. But nobody sort of questions how he's there. The fact she used to make more Rory dress like him. I, I think that's <laughs> very, very funny. Yeah. And obviously it's sort of foreshadowing. It probably still does. Um... It's, it's, it's sort of also foreshadowing the potential love, you know, romantic feelings that she may have towards the Doctor, which will be explored in uh, future episodes. Um, yeah, overall, I like the I just love the joke that every time that some, he meets somebody, they know exactly who he is. They're like, how the hell do you exist? But they don't really question the logistics of it. They're like, oh, that's you, isn't it? And then he's like, yeah. They're like, great! Obviously, the, the, like I said, this episode is breakneck, so if it did slow down for that sort of scene, it, it wouldn't really work. Um, but I, I just find it funny that they're just sort of cool with it. They're just sort of like, oh, all right. This, this, this is this is just a fact. Um, but yeah. Um, I, I do have a question, and it's not a criticism, because like I said, this episode, like John said, if, if you, you find ask, it... Do you want to ask us a question? I do indeed. Can I ask you a question? Um, 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 how can Jeff save the universe with a laptop? when he seems to only be a lonely man in his bedroom. I'm not questioning the episode, because like I said, it's a very nitpicky thing. We don't know his background, but I'm just saying it seems like quite a big thing to drop on the man who doesn't really know what's going on. I mean, it seems to infer that he's the only person in the village with a laptop. Doesn't it? Yeah. It seems to infer that he's the only person in the village, which, you know, given that, like, it's 2010, Amy and Rory are both sort of young, hip people. You might have expected either of them to be sort of geared up. But, um, but yeah, it seems to infer that Jeff is the only person in the village with a laptop. Maybe that's all that Ledworth's 
bandwidth coverage could cover one bloke with a laptop. Who knows? Exactly. Um, yeah, I just don't really know. Like, I would, if obviously, again, I can't slow down. You can't slow down the pace of the episode. However, if a, if a random bloke whom I've only heard stories of said, right, you need to save the world, you've got 20 minutes, this is the two time to be a hero, I'd be like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> Like it's explained that obviously these are the lead like the world's leaders in terms of science and whatever, and that's cool. That's fine with me. I can get behind that. The doctor shows a cool presentation on a laptop, fine. But what does Jeff have to do with it? What can he possibly add to this? What is that's all I'm asking. I don't mind the fact it happens. I just want to know what does the doctor expect Jeff to do? Yeah, I've often won that wondered that for the past 12 years. Um I haven't. No, I'll, maybe he shows in the internet history and he's like, this is where the human race should exist. Um, I don't know. Um, I just like the fact that in this episode, the Doctor commits Grand Theft Auto um, and just steals a fire yeah. truck um, and then smashes it in a hospital window. Thank you very much, yeah, NHS. Yeah, damage right there. Um... Thank you very much, NHS. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have, to, I have to say, obviously, this is much before she became incredibly a popular actor and started to be recognised for, for her talent. But Olivia Coleman in this is still brilliant in the small bits that we get her. Very menacing as Prisoner Zero. And uh, the, the way she talks and speaks is, is incredible and her delivery is brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we're sort of getting towards the end now where um, they're trying to lure the Atraxi to see... Where Prisoner Zero is, they they do an attempt in the in the sort of greenery area, the green, um, but the Atraxi sort of just uh, you know go nah, I can't tell that you're the Atraxi, and the Atraxi escapes. So they they house this plan of sending the Atraxi all the pictures of of all the forms that he was in, the Prisoner Zero was in. Maybe that's what Jeff was doing. I don't know. Was Jeff sending it to the Atraxi? How did he get their email? Um, who knows? Move on. Who knows? So, wasn't it the sort of like trying to get the message of zero around the world to try and get their attention? Wasn't it that? Possibly. Who knows? Who cares? I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to try. I'm just trying to think. Who cares? Let's get, Steve, let's get, let's get Stephen Moffat on the Zoom call. We can explain it. That'd be my big that would be my big question, though. If I had Moffat on the podcast, it wouldn't be anything else. It would be, what would Jeff, what was Jeff doing on that laptop to help save the world? Um, and no, not the other thing. Um, then, obviously, we get uh, the two, or the first of the two doctor speeches in this, where he's essentially revealing his old plan to Prisoner Zero. And he says, who the man? Uh, yeah, thankfully, they, they, they dropped that. Even the episode points out. That, that was bad. I mean, I mean, they did it for comedic effect. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I know I'm not I'm not judging it. I'm judging the doctor for saying it, but I'm not judging it in terms of the script. Um but but Prisoner Zero has a trick up its sleeve because it needs months to build a psychic connection. However, it's had years and decides to take over the brain of Amelia Pond. And we get this again, another brilliant scene when we get evil Matt versus evil, like good Matt, sort of. Sort of, you know, a bit of a early rebel flesh sort of vibe here, and we get uh, evil Amelia as well. Um, however, Amy, our Amy, can still hear the Doctor, even though she's sort of like passed out. 
uh, and the doctor gets her to remember the slimy creature that she saw Prisoner Zero as, and uh, the Atraxi find Prisoner Zero. However, there is one more twist I do tell you. The Atraxi's like, nah, we're going to blow up the Earth anyway. Oh, all right then. Shit. Um, yeah, what do you make it? What do you make of it? I think it's an absolutely fine way of defeating the villain that isn't really that important to the overall story and wraps up relatively well. Yeah, you said it from... works, it, it works. Yeah. No, as, as, I, as I said earlier, the, the, the fight against the fight against the villain is never the story in an intro, introductory episode for a doctor. No, nope. so yeah, it works, it, it works fine. It doesn't have to be all bells and whistles, it just has to do a job. Absolutely agree. I think it works well. Uh, I don't know how, I, I, you know, it doesn't bother me, but I do find it funny that Moffat was like, right, we've been given 60 minutes. We want the Doctor to have a really impassioned speech. Let's just make the eye in the sky want to blow up the world um, so he can have his little cool moment. It's a very cool moment. Um, hopefully one of the best Doctor speeches in general. Um Again, there's a bit more sexualized stuff where the a- Amy just sees the doctor naked. Um, where it always like, you're not going to turn around. She's like, no. Cheers, Amy. I thought we were dating, but clearly you want to see this man naked. Poor Rory. Jesus Christ. Very faithful man. Just get screwed over. Um, then we get the lovely, we, we, get, we get a double whammy of him picking his clothing whilst giving his first Doctor speech. Mm-hmm. And that, again, Moffat uses dialogue brilliant here with the whole, is is the Earth important? And uh, the Doctor goes, important? Well, of course it's important. Uh, and all that sort of stuff. And then you get sort of the, the, the archive footage of all the Doctors. And then you get him doing his speech and you get him to walk through the thing and he goes, hello, I'm the Doctor. Basically run and chills chills every time i can watch that yeah it it's superb it 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 is that moment is superbly done and you know from that moment you're like you know what i'm really gonna like this yeah Yeah. um absolutely the attraction runs away we get the the first rendition of i am the doctor yeah and it, it orchestral wonderfulness um i also have to give credit to arthur darville again for his brilliant performance where he's like so the aliens just went away and now he's bringing them back they just went away and now he's bringing them back um brilliant stuff again um and then obviously like like i said in the uh, john reminded me of the doctor runs away back to the tardis goes to fly around the moon for a bit comes back offers to take amy away but actually it's been two years he's late again Oh dear, oh dear. <clears throat> then again, I mean, um, effectively, he's got a time machine. He could always come back two years before. He could do, but then he wouldn't need to go back in the original timeline. Therefore, paradox. And therefore, depending on what showrunner you are, Reapers. Rah. I don't know why I did a raw voice. That's what you get on the podcast now. Sound effects. Um, um, I mean, that was like the least. That was like the least scary raw I think I've ever heard in my life. That was a raw straight from MS job. It was like a 
It was like a sick kitten going raw. <laughs> what were you going to say, Owen? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I loved uh, the 11th hour because, I mean, I was a huge uh, David Tennant, 10th Doctor fan. I loved the Doctor and Donna. So obviously when uh, the 10th Doctor left, I was just absolutely heartbroken and I cried at the regeneration scene. And do you know what? I still get teared up every time I see it. Um, and I remember the 2013 proms and they showed that clip and I'm like, why would you do this to me? Um, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> and... There's been there's been more sad ones, let's be honest. No, when I said bad, I just meant poor quality. Um. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, after that, and then I'd never heard of Matt Smith. I don't think many of us had. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, I'm not sure am I going to like it. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, 11th hour just absolutely um, confirmed to me that you're going to love this. And, yeah, I, I, I love Matt Smith and... Um, and I thought this was a great way to start his era. Absolutely. And obviously, like John mentioned earlier, we end the episode with uh, the introduction to the best TARDIS interior of all time, please and thank you. Oh, it's fabulous. Uh, it, it, it's stunning. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, the fact the fact that he's inputting controls and a clunky typewriter and stuff like that, it's just, just oh, give me that console room back. Am I, am I the only person... Because I know some people are different. Am I, the, am I the only person that thinks it's a, like the Series Seven B one is a massive downgrade? Wow. Give, me, give me, give me Series Five every day. Yeah, yeah Series Five and Six Tardis with the nice, nice orange gla- glass panel. I wasn't on. that keen on it, to be honest. What? I mean, I think, I mean, it, like looking back at it, it would have been like great for Max Doctor because he's very much a hands-on practical doctor. He's you know very. You know, hands on touching things and twisting this. Excuse me. Excuse me. What you did not make that any better. <laughs> touching and twisting things and pulling this and that. What the? Well, yeah, fuck? all the various knobs and levers and cranks on Thomas <laughs> console. You know, um, he, he's very much a hands on. You know, doctor. <laughs> but Smith exposed. Grow up. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from you, Mister Luckhurst. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I mean, I mean jo- Jodie's doctor is very much the, the, the same. I mean, with, with her uh console, I mean, not that you really get to see her use it that much because it's like quick fly on the TARDIS and then off on this planet, you know. It's, it's also, I don't know whether it's the way they shoot it, but that TARDIS interior compared to every other one in the new series feels really small. Mm. Like, it doesn't feel yeah. that spacious. Whereas you look at this one, even Capaldi's, you've at least got, like, the proper... Because like, the issue I think I have with the Whitaker Tardis, and I'm sorry to go back to the Whitaker era, and I didn't want to make a critique of that, but I feel like even the upstairs bit, because it's so dimly lit, you don't really see yeah. it. So you sort of forget it's there. Whereas at least for, like, the the, Smith, the, the Moffat era Tardises, you can really feel... Yeah. The, the the levels to it. So even with Capaldi's and the bookcases and all the bookshelves and the downstairs and the secret round things with the alcohol in it, which is a lovely touch. Um, you know, you feel that this is a spaceship. And I feel like mm. that's what's missing from Whitaker's TARDIS. Yeah. Like it feels it obviously it isn't similar, it's actually much bigger, but it feels very similar to the one for the Doctor's wife, the makeshift one. But it's like really kind of compact and a bit. Bland. I mean that that I, even though I thought that was great. I mean, 
and not bad for you know um, a, a kid who designed it for Blue Peter to then appear in Doctor Who. I thought that was just brilliant. Um, I mean, it's better, it's better I mean, than the fucking absorbable off, isn't it? Yeah, better than the absorbable off, which you know that they come up with a design for for a monster. Um, I mean, you two just sound like two kids that put in designs for that competition and didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, that by that point, I thought I was a bit too old for that sort of thing. Alex, was, Alex's coleslaw monster didn't stand a chance. <laughs> coleslaw monster is 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 a real scary being. Don't don't you don't you? Don't, I think the only worry. other thing that they did like Blue Peter wise was they had a story written for I think it was Children in Need or Comic Relief or something like that, and it was like in the run up to the Olympics, and someone bursts in through the TARDIS doors with the Olympic torch. So he's like he's one of the Olympic torch ray uh, torch relay runners. And um, and he's being chased by a weeping angel who's after the Olympic flame. Um, so yeah, that, that that was another sort of like little addition to Blue Pe- with Blue Peter, um, which I think yep. probably gets forgotten about. I've no idea. I've never seen an episode. Never yeah, seen. I mean, an episode. It's, it's probably on YouTube. It's probably about 10, 15 minutes long. Um, obviously, as well, we end with the little stinger of the Doctor still. Um, observing the crack in the wall, it's still on his monitor, which is really, mm. really yeah. cool. Uh, and that's sort of where we leave it for this episode. I, I also, you know, it's not going to affect the episode's rating, not anything would, but I love the fact that we get a full season trailer after this, and it feels, yeah. I mean, that it feels cool. block, but it feels blockbuster as well, yeah. Mm. Um, I didn't realise it again until now because I don't remember. I think the last time I to watch this would have been the lockdown. Was it called Lockdown? Who special? What not yeah, too long? Yeah, that must have been the last time I watched this one. So it's coming on two years now, which is bizarre to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Christ, that was two years ago. Ugh. Oh no. Way to depress us. <laughs> because that means two years ago you met me. Um, there you go. Exactly. Oh God! Wait, wait, wait to depress. Wait, wait, wait to depress us some more. Yeah, literally. Um, but yeah, um, guys, scores on doors. I feel pretty confident all round here. But oh, and I'm going to go first with you. It's like you normally go last. I mean, it's the only rating that it should be given for this, and that's an eleven out of ten. Jono? I mean, it's perfection. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a 10 out of 10, because although you have perfection, you have to stick within the realities of mathematics and physics. I'm going to go with a 10 out of 10 as well. Um, like I said, like I think John summed it up brilliantly, if you've got a problem with this, even your problems is you looking for problems, because yeah, even you if you have... You, you're searching for an issue if you've got an issue with this one, because it, it, it's, it, it's perfection. Yeah, it, it it's brilliant from start to finish. Um, yeah, I, I can't argue. This is I one mean, of the best. I mean, it just sets the stall out for what, for me, is the best series of New Who and the second best series of Who overall. You know, it, 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 it lays down a marker and the rest of the season, generally speaking, 
sticks up for that. Absolutely. Um, I will also say before we get on to what our next episode will be, you guys can listen to the podcast review of the beast below as we did it on episode 10 of the Thomas podcast. So it's already a thing. So if you do want to go and listen to sort of a subsequent review of what I thought of the beast below, I will leave it at the end of the YouTube video. I cannot link it in the description of uh, the audio. So that's why I'll let you know. I'll repeat it again. Episode 10 was the beast below. So it won't be as good as it. It won't be as no, good. No, it won't. It'll be nowhere near as good. It's not got me on it. It's nowhere near as good. It was one of our first episodes. There's no visual aspect to it, even on the YouTube version. So it's just a picture with audio. Um, but if you do want to give that a listen, I, you know, go for it. Um, I can't remember uh, like anything of what I said on that podcast. You I'm weren't like, there. What? You weren't um, there. You weren't I? there. It was episode ten. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know you. For some reason, right, I, so, I feel like we, we've done a Alex. Yeah, so, so Alex. Yeah. Alex doesn't remember the ones that Owen has been on, and Owen thinks he's been on the ones that he hasn't. Yeah. Owen, your first. I mean, Owen, your first. I mean, people, audience, you see what I'm having to work with here, don't you? <laughs> oh, it wasn't your first one you'd have called on the wasp, or was it the, the shit Colin Baker one? It, it, it was Time Lash, which was the first one. Then the second one was Unicorn and the Wasp. Okay. You can't I, think we, you, you can't I know we've done a few Series 5. Um, but yeah, you haven't. This, this, this is our first Series 5. This is our first Series 5, Owen. What are you, you on? Like? You can't say the shit Colin Baker one because people will now be looking for an episode with the Twin Dilemma. <laughs> Owen's broken. He thinks he's done more episodes than we have. Didn't we do one on the, on the Doctor's Wife? That's serious. serious. We did. We did a drunk watch along oh, yeah, of Amy's Choice. We did drunk watch alongs of Amy's Choice, and we did a drunk watch along of the Doctor's Wife. But they weren't reviews, so technically they're not podcasts. They're extra specials. No. <laughs> no. I mean, guys, just to let you know, I mean, we're so prepared for this. That two days before, we said, "Oh." Today we're filming the second anniversary special. Guarantee you almost gave half the people in our group chat a panic going, you what? This wasn't planned. Um, I've, I've, I've got memory like a sieve. Um, so, you know. Memory like a sieve. Right. Obviously yeah, too. I won't disagree with you there, John. <laughs> obviously, we've had, uh, we've got to go back to the randomizer of fun times. John, I always ask you this question. I feel like you're the same answer. Tom Baker. And Owen, what doctor are you what doctor are you gonna go with this time? I'm watching a, a sixth doctor story, as long as it's not time lash. Obviously, it's not well, it, will, it won't be time, it won't be time lash. Um, I mean you're playing the odds. So you're gonna go with sixth doctor, okay. Hmm. I want to do the over dramatic click. Oh fuck! Well, this is the last episode of this podcast. It's been a ride because I don't want to do this one. I hate it, guys. Get ready for a month's time where me, John, and Owen review the Fifth Doctor episode, Kinder. Um. Oh god. <laughs> oh god. What? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean, I mean, it has, it, to what I recall, it has three people that have appeared in the bill in it. Um, <laughs> um, 
Um, uh, what's her face? Uh, she was in EastEnders as Lou Beale. Anna Wing. Anna Wing. Yeah, and she's uh, <laughs> one of the chess players uh, in Tegan's Dream. There we go. I'm down with that. So, and we've also got a piece of her costume in the, in the Who Shop Museum. There you go. I'm, I'm no, going to the museum. Season 19 is generally quite good. So, yeah, I'm okay with Kinder. Actually, we, actually we've got a whole, whole cabinet dedicated to Kinder and Snake Dance all together. So, yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, anyway, guys, thank you guys so much for joining me. You can uh, follow John on Twitter and Instagram at John by underscore Cook. You can follow Owen on Twitter, Instagram at Dr. Disco 16. He also had a TikTok as well. So if you want to go see him shuffle in the Who shop, you can go. Oh, don't do, and... oh. don't do that. Oh, don't do that. Spare yourself. Um... Um, you can also follow the podcast at the Timers Pod on Twitter, Instagram. You can listen to us on YouTube. You can listen to us on Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever else you get your podcast. All I can say is I will be back next week with Beef and perhaps Reese Marshall to review Ant-Man and the Wasp. However, later this month, John will be back twice because not only will he be here for the second anniversary, me and John have a podcast, which we're very excited for because later this month, it is the Royal Rumble. Um, and it's a very exciting time. <laughs> oh, it'll be competing in the Royal Rumble along with Johnny Knoxville. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, 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 my, my, my early tip for the Royal Rumble this year is Coco Beware. <laughs> <laughs> yep, why not? But why not? Um, you'll see Owen back this month, hopefully, on the one year anniversary, if he doesn't forget and thinks it's the Kinder podcast. <laughs> two, year, two year anniversary. Oh, yeah, the two year anniversary. So I'm having a bear. <laughs> Thanks. Um, you were bad. You made up an episode that you weren't on. <laughs> it's a good job I'm here, folks. That's what I was going to say. It's a good job he's there. Yeah, someone, someone's got to keep track, you know. I'll leave John to give you uh, the outro uh, for this episode. Don't have nightmares. Do sleep well. Get a girlfriend, Jeff. <laughs>